Well, good morning. It is really good to be with you all uh, this one last time. I've really enjoyed very much uh, the weeks that I've been able to be with you, um, but I'm also really excited for Kaylee and his family beginning their ministry here among you. I've not met him, uh, but in our pastoral circles, I have heard great things uh, about him. Uh, so I'm really encouraged that he is, uh, is coming and he's going to be with you starting next week. Today, I'd like to look uh, at another passage that has had a very significant impact in my own life, uh, something that's been so very helpful, even formative uh, for me. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Just a really terrific text uh, here. So here... God's word. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness or forbearing spirit be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I want to just simply walk through this text today, reflecting on some of the wonderful things that are here. But before we do, let's look to our Lord in prayer. Our Father, even as we have sung this morning, we seek and bask in your presence. Knowing that where your people gather, you are a very real presence in their midst. And so we do, as we come together this morning, we unite and lift our voices to you in songs of praise and thanksgiving. We lift our prayers to you, Father, seeking you and lifting our needs to you. But we also ask, O oh Lord, that you would be with us as we spend this time in your word, in this particular text in Philippians. And we pray that you would cause hearts and minds that can so easily just be dull, spirits that can feel just languishing within us. We can be overwhelmed by the circumstances of life or just kind of flatlining. We just pray that your spirit, as we have sung already this morning, would move in our midst quicken our hearts and minds, give us ears to hear and eyes to see so that these truths come alive to our hearts and minds. We can embrace them and live by them. Lord, only you can do this. And so we look to you and commit this time to you in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I love these opening words. Rejoice in the Lord always. In case you didn't hear it the first time, again I will say, rejoice. God actually calls his people to a life 
of joy. And I love this. And I love it because, to be honest with you, this is not the impression I had of Christianity before I became a Christian. This is not the impression that a lot of people have about the nature of religion. Christianity, being a Christian, this sort of thing. As a matter of fact, it's usually the opposite, right? At least in a lot of people's minds, it's that way. Maybe some of you, like me, maybe like Billy Joel in his songs. Remember, only the good die young. You see, you start following the rules, doing the right things, going, following the path of religion, specifically in that song. And he says, it just will suck the life out of you. You know, people think about that. They think about, well, if I become a Christian, I'll no longer be able to do the things I want to do. And I'll have to start doing all the things I don't want to do. Maybe I'll have to be a monk. Maybe I'll have to be a missionary. Maybe I'll have to be an evangelist on a corner. I'm going to have to stop having fun, get all serious about life, all this kind of stuff. I mean, Christians are just fuddy-duddies. They're just goody-two-shoes. They're people who are just kind of uh, stuck in the mud of life. Uh, there. This is just the images and impressions that I had and that an awful lot of other people have about Christianity. But the, this is why I find this text so jolting, uh, really, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll tell you, rejoice. He invites us to, calls us to, commands us to a life of joy. And you know, when you, when you start looking over the Scriptures with an eye towards this, you see all sorts of verses along these lines. John, just, we'll just, we can't do all of them, but just a few in the Gospel of John. John 15, 11. I have said these things to you, so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. Next chapter, John 16, 24. Up until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy will be made full. John 17, 13. But now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world, so that my joy might be fulfilled in them. And there's so many texts along these lines. You look at some of the terminology and imagery that is used uh, in the Scriptures. Uh, The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Heaven itself is so often described as a party. We don't tend to think of it. And it usually borrows from the image of a wedding feast. So what the, what the Jewish people with the Scripture would do is think of the most joyful occasion you can think of where there's all sorts of partying, celebrating, dancing, singing, this sort of thing that would go on for days and weeks even. And they'd say, that's heaven. That's what it's like. It's, there is unbounded joy in the presence of God with one another. This is great stuff. <laughs> I just don't know that it's usually foremost uh, in our heads uh, this way. It's, it's not probably, for most of us, our normative experience. And so I, when I come across verses like these in this particular text, I start asking, why isn't it more true? Why isn't it more true for us? Why isn't this more of our reality? It's, it's not for me. I don't know if it is for you. So what holds us back 
What holds us back from experiencing this life of joy that we are called to here and in so many places? Now, it's important to keep in mind who's writing this. This is the Apostle Paul who's writing this, and he's writing it from jail. He's been imprisoned for his faith. And this is the guy who has already gone through innumerable hardships. And just looking back on his life, he said, I could have a life of just unrelenting guilt and shame because I was the one who persecuted believers. I was the one who dragged them to their deaths. I was the one who did all of this. And I am the chief, I am the foremost of sinners. This is a guy who could be wallowing in guilt and shame. This is a guy who, when he embarked on the mission, found himself just all the time dealing with imprisonment, beatings, whippings, being stoned, uh, all sorts of things that were going on in, in his life. That people would falsely accuse him of things. They'd come behind him and spread lies uh, about him all the time, about who he was and about his message, trying to undermine the ministry that he was doing. He'd go on the next trip and get shipwrecked. And I mean, this is the guy who then says, with all of that, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. So we, there's, this guy, is, you, you can't sit back and say, oh, well, this is just pie-in-the-sky type of stuff. This is not the real world. Paul would say, I beg to differ. I've been down paths you've never been down. I've experienced things you're never going to experience. And I'm telling you, you can have joy in your life. You can experience the peace of God. And that, that's why it, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it even starts off. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit, your reasonableness, it's variously translated there, let that be known to everyone. He acknowledges right off the bat with this idea, with this word that translators seem to find a hard way to, to pinpoint it, this forbearingness, this reason, that let people see that you have composure in the midst of a life that's going to throw you a lot of junk. Let people see your ability to forbear with others who you will find irritating as all get out. People who will often offend you, hurt you, let you down, this sort of thing. People that you would not necessarily have anything in common. People with whom you've got to have, give them the benefit of the doubt. With circumstances that seem to be crazy and out of control. With all the bad news that we hear around us all the time and of which media doesn't help at all. He said, let your forbearing spirit, your perseverance in joy be known to all people despite the people you've got to deal with, despite the circumstances that might be in your life that could be really severe circumstances. Who knows what you might be dealing with? The heartbreak that you've been through are experiencing now. The, you might be scared out of your mind about something, grieving about something, Paul is saying, yeah, I know, I get that. And yet, at the root, you can have a joy that nothing can take away. So where does that come from? How do we get it? And the first thing he says, the, right off the bat, is because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Now, again, interpreters seem to have a hard time pinpointing what this means. Some say it's celebrating the fact that because God is with us, it's the Emmanuel principle. The Lord is with us. You can deal with these things and even enjoy because God is with you. 
He is at hand. Jesus has suffered and died on the cross for your sins. He's risen from the dead. His presence is now with you. And the song we just sang about the Holy Spirit, His presence is with you now. You can deal with anything. It's the Emmanuel principle. And, you know, so often, all all a child really needs when they're scared of the dark, when they have to go to school, or whatever just terrifies them, all they really need is for you to be with them, and they can handle it. It's the same with a lot of us. If If we just have somebody we know and trust and have some degree of security, we're okay with that. As long as God is with you is what they're saying You can have joy in the Lord. Because that's what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Not rejoice just blindly. Rejoice in the Lord. It's who you are, what you have in Jesus that gives you the rock, the ground. Because that's what you always come back to. It's who you are, what you have, that Jesus is in your life. Others say, well, yeah, it very well could mean that. But it could also mean the Lord is at hand, which means his return is imminent. Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he will set all wrongs right. He will dry every tear. He will comfort every sorrow. Things will be right. If there's any vengeance that needs to be taken or anything like that, he'll take care of that at that time. All the evils and the wars and the injustices and things like that that you might be suffering from or see others having to deal with, I'm going to set all that right. I am coming back soon. And you can therefore stay joyful. You can persevere in joy even in the midst of all this stuff that's going on. And one of the, the analogies I can think of here that um, is one of my patterns is University of Michigan football. Okay. My wife and I are both graduates of the University of Michigan. I am a fairly rabid Michigan football fan. My wife doesn't give a ding-dong about it. But me, I'm a rabid fan. But when I watch a football game, I get kind of agitated. You know, when they inevitably fumble, drop the pass, have a penalty, the other team surges ahead, this sort of thing, it's like the end of the world. Okay, like, oh, I can't believe they're that bad, they're doing it. But I don't, at Anne's suggestion, I don't watch the games anymore live. I tape them, record them. And so I know the end from the beginning. I, will, I won't even watch it if they've lost, you see. But if they've won... I watch it. And yes, as we go through the game, they fumble. They have a penalty. They drop passes. The other team surges ahead. And I'm sitting there on my couch going, that's okay. We win in the end. I know that. It's okay if they're bozos. It's okay if they do these things. You see, that perspective changes everything. What the, let's say, you can have joy in the Lord. Yeah, my life sucks. Everything is going wrong. Look at the news in the world. Look at these things. But you know, we win in the end. I can deal with this. And at the root of it, even as I grieve, even as I'm scared, even as I'm overwhelmed, even when I'm hurting, at the root, I've got something that anchors me. 
I can rejoice in the Lord, not in my circumstances, not what's going on in the world, but because Jesus is with me, because I know he is coming back, I have every reason to cling to this and have a peace in my soul and a joy in life that I would not otherwise or have any possibility of experiencing. So either one of these interpretations could be true. The fact is, we have a, a source of joy in our lives as we celebrate God's grace in life, who He is, what He has done for us. This grace that we can then extend to other people because we can rejoice in the Lord. But on top of that, if that weren't enough, he goes on to say, in addition to just knowing that, this, I, I'll take this just a little bit further, this practicing the presence of God in your life, knowing that he's coming back, says you also have the resource of prayer. I've not just abandoned you to this world, so just remember these other truths and kind of suck it up and get through life. He says, I am walking with you and you have the resource of prayer. Therefore, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, most of us, I know I do, tend to get very anxious, agitated, and upset about so many different things, whether they're work issues, kids, health, finances, church, just any number of reasons. And the fact is we live in a world, as we've already acknowledged, where things go wrong. At least from our perspective, they go wrong. People get hurt, people get sick, life is unpredictable, life can sometimes be hard. There is sadness and pain and evil realities all around us. Paul, again, is the kind of guy who would say, I get that. That's why I'm telling you things from prison. I'm telling you all of this. This is where Paul says prayer comes in in a really meaningful way. That as we go through our lives, each and every day of our lives, we have a heavenly Father who says, come to me. I'm going to walk with you and you get to walk with me in the context of a personal relationship. Go ahead and let all your needs and concerns be known to me. Pour out your heart with your fears and your struggles. Pour out your heart to him as children would to a parent. And trust him with the needs of your life with your circumstances, with the people you're having to deal with. And then he couches that by saying, when you pray, pray with an attitude of thanksgiving. And that just is a game changer in and of itself. Because when you pray with thanksgiving, you're saying, Lord, as I pour out my soul to you, the, uh, uh, my heart that is broken and I'm scared spitless about this thing that's coming up in my life, I'm in a relationship that just seems to be an irresolvable mess, all these different sorts of things, I thank you that you are my sovereign Father who has loved me, who has redeemed me, who has paid for my sins, given me eternal life, made me your child. You are the one who causes all things to work together for good for those who love you or are called according to your purpose. And I know that your will, which is what I ultimately seek here, is good and acceptable 
and perfect. That changes everything. It's a, Thanksgiving means we pray with an attitude of trust in a good and sovereign God. Unfortunately, as I've known, I've seen it in my own life, and it's caught me off guard, that so much prayer really amounts to just worrying in the presence of God. That's what so much prayer actually is. It's wringing our hands in the presence of God, bemoaning our circumstances, pleading for our will to be done, for Him to fix it as we think it needs to be fixed. But peace and joy come from letting all of our needs, all of our desires, all of our requests be made known to Him, and then praying with thanksgiving, seeking and trusting for His will to be done. Isn't this how Jesus taught us to pray? Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because it's your will that's good and acceptable and perfect, not mine. Mine is so warped and so limited, uh, it's not always a good request. So I let my request, I pour out my heart to you, but then I trust that you will answer this in the way that's wise and good in accordance with your will, because it's your will that Romans 12, 2 says is good, acceptable, and perfect. I love the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane who practiced this, who modeled it for, himself, for us. When he knelt the, day before, the night before he was going to go to the cross and he fell to his face and he prayed, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. I am really scared. Because better than anybody else, I know what lies ahead. I know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I know what it's going to be like to have your eternal wrath for sin poured out on me. And I am terrified. He let his requests be made known to God. And then he follows and says, but not my will be done, but yours. That's the model. That's how we pray. That's how it works. And that's why Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 7.14, again, the person who knows about affliction, in all my afflictions, I am overflowing with joy. That is a remarkable statement to make. In all my afflictions, 2 Corinthians 7.14, I am overflowing with joy. It's not my circumstances that determine my state of being. It is not other people that determine my state of being. Whether I'm being dealt with unjustly, unfairly, whether I'm going through any number of hardships, I am, my roots go way deeper than that. They do not chart my course. My relationship with God and my life of prayer with Him does. And I have joy in all circumstances. But he goes on from there. He says, you know, in addition to practicing his presence, knowing that he's coming back, having this resource of prayer, you guys got to get your head straight. You got to start thinking about the right things here. Because he goes on and says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on those things. Let your head go there. 
Now, we're not talking about the power of positive thinking here, which is just plain mind games. We're not talking about just trying to convince yourself that something is true when it's not. Just telling yourself things to, to, to buck you up and you know deep inside they're not right and they're not real. But what you are doing is, first of all, you're looking for real good in people and circumstances. You really do have an eye out for what is good about other people and about your circumstances. And you latch onto those, remember them. You remember in the midst of your hardship God's promises when he says that he causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Then when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, when he has proven all of that in Christ and said, if God has given up Jesus for you, if he suffered and died, if he went through all of that because he loved you that much, considered you that important and valuable to him, that he would go through all of that, how can you possibly think he'd hold anything else back? That's Paul's reasoning. That's, what you need, that's where your mind needs to go. That's what we need to be thinking about. I, I know it's, it's easy to focus on the negative to see the worst in people and circumstances. We gravitate to it sometimes. It can consume us. The things that are wrong or the things we don't have that we wish we did have. And again, media doesn't help because it's this constant barrage of all the things that are going wrong in government, in the world, with wars, with poverty, with refugees. It doesn't matter. There's just You're going to get bombarded with this all the time. So what do you do? And if you're in a difficult relationship, you're in a bad job, you're in all these different sort of things, what do you do? There's plenty of bad negative things to focus on, but joy comes from looking for and focusing on anything and everything that is good and decent and right. And it might start with some key verses in the scriptures, Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And make a list of what those are, which Psalm 103 helps you with. Because it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and let all that is within me bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. And then the rest of the psalm is listing them for you. So you can start with there. I remember my father, when we had to put him in a nursing home, very difficult experience. And he still had enough uh, in his head uh, with Alzheimer's coming on, but he still knew what was going on. And we had him in this nursing home. And as he lay down in bed, if we kind of got him settled, he just looked up at me and his eyes began to glisten and tears went down the side. He said, is this where it all ends? Is this is how my life ends? It was heart-wrenching. And I hardly knew what to say, but I just had to say, Dad, but you need to understand, I'm going to be here with you. The rest of your family will be here with you. And you have people here who are going to give you care that we just can't provide. And we are so fortunate to have the resources and the insurance and things like that that will allow you to be in a place like this. So yeah, this is really hard, but we have some reasons to be thankful. And let's focus on those. It kind of goes along with a quote by Abraham Lincoln, at least the people attribute it. Abraham Lincoln, where he said, you know, most people are about as happy as they make up their minds to be. <laughs> I think that is so true. 
Most people are about as happy as they make up their minds to be. You can decide any given day under any set of circumstances how you're going to choose to respond to that. I just love, in the midst of a circumstance, this guy named Matthew Henry. Some of you may have read his commentaries, old English scholar, this sort of thing. And he says this, writes these words in his diary the night where during the day he had been mugged. So he had been robbed on the street. And this is what is in his diary. Let me be thankful First, because I was never robbed before. Second, although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it wasn't very much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not someone else. I thought, man, (laughs) that's this verse in spades. I don't know that I could ever get there. Uh, and do that and be able to write that in my diary if I were mugged on the streets of Chicago. But this is the practice of someone who is saying, I am going to try to focus. I'm going to find that which is good in these circumstances and I'm going to be thankful for it. We've got to get our heads in the right place and the focus on those things. As he says, whatever is true, true, not false, just make-believe, fantasy world, whatever is true, Whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Do this with your spouse. Do this with your children. Do this with your job. Do this with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Do this in life. This is where I focus, and let it take you to everything you have and all that you are in Jesus Christ. And then he says, you've also got to hear and practice the things that I've taught you and the example that I have set for you. He concludes with this, whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Obedience, in other words, will bring joy. And this is another thing in this text that is counterintuitive because we think, no, that won't do it. You know, that's, that's exactly the kind of thing that I was thinking about before that sucks all the joy out of life. I got to start doing stuff I don't want to do. I got to stop doing things I do want to do. That's the problem here. So it's so very counterintuitive here. We think that obeying God's laws will take away joy, not bring joy. But what he's saying here is you cannot have real peace and joy in your lives without faithfully obeying God's word, of which Paul himself, he says, is a good example. When we follow God's design for our lives, however countercultural they might be, counterintuitive they might seem to you, when we practice God's word and implement it in our lives, there is a deep sense of of rightness, of wholeness, and of pleasing God. When you know you have done the right thing, even under maybe very challenging circumstances. And again, it's sort of like the child who obeys. You know, those rare moments when the child obeys and knows that they're pleasing their parent. I still remember our daughter Liz. And one night where we said, you need to go get ready for bed. And she knew the routine, and she just jumped up and went and did it. It was like shocking. 
And she washed her face and she brushed her teeth and she got on her jammies and got herself all ready for bed. And we're like, this is great. And we praised her and we thanked her and this sort of thing. We put her to bed. It was a wonderful evening. Now you think with the joy that was on her face, she, you knew she pleased us. You would think that would be enough to do it again. And it wasn't. Because by the next night, we're back to the old routine. You see. So, but there was still this sense of like, I did what was good and right, and I really pleased my parents, and boy, this really feels good. And that's kind of what obedience does in our lives. The problem is, we've got it in our heads that God and his commandments stand in the way of our happiness. Almost every, I don't know of a single person who doesn't have that mindset. They're obeying God's commands stands in the way of my happiness. This was the lie that Satan told Adam and Eve. God is holding out on you. He's keeping back something that would make your life full and good. It would make you like God. You would know good and evil. You would know, you'd, be, you'd have all, you, he's holding out on you. So if you take your faith seriously, if you really obey God, if you really do keep his commandments, you're going to miss out. That was the lie of Satan in the Garden of Eden. They bought it then. We continue to buy it to this day. God is the cosmic killjoy. That's the lie Satan would like you to believe. As John says in 1 John 5, 3, however, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome, because they reflect his good, acceptable, and perfect will. Everything that is in the scriptures is a product of his love for you, his goodness, his wisdom, his sovereign holiness. It's all there for that reason, but we just don't believe it. Obedience, because God is holy, but also obedience because we trust his love and his wisdom. And when we do, it brings joy. And to disobey, of course, we all disobey. We all fall short. None of us has a perfect faith, so we're constantly messing up. But that brings us all the way back to the beginning in the gospel. Because that's where we come back and say, yes, I have messed up. This is not the end of the story. This is not the last word. It's Jesus who's the last word. And I come back to the gospel. I come back to the cross. I remember who he is. I remember what he's done for us. And I put my hope and my trust there. And I walk away celebrating once again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Every day, you and I, if you're a Christian, every day we get to walk, wake up to these unbelievable realities of who we are and what we have in Jesus. We wake up every day with these kinds of resources at our disposal, at our use, that God is with us and that he's coming again. We, we can walk with him in a relationship characterized by prayer. That we, we, we think about the things that are good and holy and true and right. And that we seek to walk in His ways and keep His commandments. We wake up to this opportunity and these realities every single day. Too often we tend to hitch the wagon of our happiness to other people and to our circumstances. And whether we think they're going the way they should go. And what happens is that our hearts break. And life is full of offenses and disappointments and struggles and challenges and ultimately death itself. Enough that would weigh you down and crush your spirit. But you don't have to live like that. 
God has set before you a whole new kind of life. I came, he said, that you might have life and have it abundantly. And this is where you get it. This is where it comes from. This is why having joy and peace is possible in this life. The psalmist says in 1611, you have shown us the paths of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you want to have a life of joy and peace in the midst of whatever your circumstances might be? This is what you're called to. This is where it's found. This is the kind of life God sets before his people. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, give us ears to hear and eyes to see the things that are in this incredible text. Help us to hear these words from your apostle, the apostle Paul, who speaks out of the crucible of his own experience. Please let these truths sink down deep into our souls. Let us embrace them and live by them. And when we fail to do so, to find our hope, our strength, our peace, and our joy in Jesus all over again. Knowing how much he loves us, what he has done for us, the hope that is ours in him. I commit these folks to you. Pray that you would be with them as their new pastor arrives next week. Pray for their future and pray that, Father, as they continue to grow together, as they follow this new pastoral leadership, that you would give them all joy and peace through believing. Be with them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.